You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Jess Biondo. And I'm Tia McNelly. This week, we are super pumped to have Shamira Parker back with us. Shamira is a self-care advocate. She is a mental health advocate and a leader for Black women leaders. Her voice has been so impactful for me since I met her a couple of years ago. She was a speaker at Collected Camp last year, and we just adore her. We adore everything she's about. Her spirit is so gentle and sweet. And... um. She carries a power that you're about to experience afresh. So, Shamira, welcome to the Collective Podcast yes, once again. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yes, and welcome you know, back I because we did have you in season one. Yeah. Um, so, listeners, if you haven't heard that first episode with Shamira, um, go back and take a listen. It'll give you a lot of amazing background information on her story, and we're going to kind of build off of that and kind of go new directions today as well. Absolutely. So Shamira, I noticed, and I don't know if I didn't notice this until recently, that you have had a little bit of a shift in your audience recently. Is that right? I have. Yeah. It looks like you are really getting after Black women leaders. I am. Yeah. And I think that that is so powerful and so important right now. And as a Black woman... Um, as a mom of black boys, mm-hmm. I just want to hear what the Lord has put on your heart right now. Um, we just want to stand in agreement with you for this this sort of imperative of standing with black women in this time. And so we just want to open the floor. Again, like just said, listeners, go back and listen to Shamira's story because it is so, so important um, for you to hear. And I know that that's that's um, a big part of, of who she is, where she came from. So, but yeah, Shamira, we just want to hand it off to you and we'll let the Lord kind of lead our questions today. I love that. I love being spirit led in conversation and allowing the Holy Spirit to just naturally unfold as his will, um, as his will provides. So uh, I just kind of want to lead with a fact. Okay. This is research and this is a fact. And then it will kind of give you an understanding of why I landed where I landed. So according to the CDC, Black women have a life expectancy that is three years shorter than white women. Dang. With stress being the primary root cause. It's infuriating. (laughs) Yeah. Three years less life. So this is why I give Black women in leadership positions a mental makeover. It's so important because what I do is I show them, I steward them, I guide them on how to make self-care non-negotiable so that they're emotionally whole and no longer suffering in silence. Because what we know is that that leads to fatigue and burnout. And not only that, but it actually has health implications. Absolutely. It has health Im- implications. So <sighs> what I like to say is Black women are dying a slow death. Mm-hmm. And it is not all visible. A lot of times it's not visible. 
And that is largely due to the strong Black woman archetype Mm. that has been imprinted on our DNA, that has been epigenetically beaten into our DNA. And because of that, it then became something that was perpetuated in the media. Mm -hmm. If you start to take notice, and you will after we've had this conversation, if you look at even some of the most popular shows, the leading Black women are strong Black women. That is so, so true. But then behind closed doors, right? So Olivia Pope, she's here to save the day. She fixes it. It's going to be okay because she's involved. No matter what it takes, she's going to get it done and she's going to be flawless and beautiful while she does it. But then she goes home to her wine glass and her tears. Wow. We look at Annalise Keating. And these are just modern day examples. Mm -hmm. But if you go back and you trace it back as an African-American studies and sociology double minor, I had the ability to look at a lot of these things and examine them in college. Um, And we did media portrayals of Blacks. We had a class on that. So I had a chance to watch film all the way back. And it has been there for the longest time. it's, It's a message that is coming out at us. And it's constantly there. And when we're watching it, it's, it's perpetuating this cycle of what has been beaten into us. Like when we go back to the slavery days, we were taught to care about everyone else, actually anyone else except ourselves. And what that looked like is being, you know, the faithful concubine to the master. Mm. So taking care of his needs. And by proxy, taking care of his needs in a lot of situations to alleviate some of the pressure on his wife, to being used as a wet nurse to nurse babies that didn't even belong to us. Mm. While we had our own families, while we had our own husbands, and then had to still work. It was beaten into our DNA. So then what happens is fast forward to today and someone asks the question, why do you think it's so hard for black women to practice self-care? Um, because our DNA is telling us that we shouldn't, that we yeah. should just take care of everybody else and work ourselves to death, to exhaustion. Um, and that that is what we should do. It's even sending us a message that we aren't even really worthy mm. of caring for ourselves. That simply exist to service the needs of others. Particularly white people in slave times, as you just described. Right. Yeah. Right. And and, and that plays out, that dynamic plays out in the workplace. That dynamic plays out in various instances. Um, And it has been, it's been like a really uncomfortable conversation to have publicly, but I know God has called me forth to be, a person to have this conversation and lead uh, in love because I I have a unique perspective on it. And I think during this time, it's just so, it's an important conversation and it's important to really just be open and be honest and be transparent and be authentic. And so, yes, you know, the service of white people, uh, that's something that, we were taught to do a long time ago and where I mainly see those dynamics playing out a lot 
is in business, in the workplace, in places like that. And you'll see a lot of that, those same dynamics having an impact on us and how we change and morph ourselves to fit into a culture, to be more agreeable, to be more approachable, to be whatever is most comfortable Mm. for someone else. So it's like setting yourself on fire to keep someone else warm kind of thing. Yeah. Whatever I need to do to make you feel safe, to make you feel comfortable, even if I basically spend my entire day not being who I am. Right. And we do it naturally. So it actually takes some deprogramming and unlearning to stop doing it. To wow. stop being the palatable black person. It's stop. like this added layer of identity work for a black woman. It is. Yeah. It is. So that's why like those are the layers we have to get underneath. Yeah. To be able to incorporate self-care as a practice mm-hmm. and a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't feel like you're worth it, if, if you don't understand why you're not doing it, you won't do it on a sustainable basis. Like you won't continue to do it. And, and self-care is how we nurture the God in us. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he, he wants us to care for ourselves. Mm-hmm. He wants us to love on ourselves. Mm-hmm. There are so many examples throughout the Bible where God, where Jesus walking this earth was giving us permission to practice self-care. Yes. He was like, look, y'all, um, I don't know what you're about to do, but I need some me time. Yep. <laughs> My dad, I'm going to need y'all to go away. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to need to get alone and get right with the Lord for a minute. <laughs> need my alone time. Hashtag me time. That's self-care. And he went off yep. by himself and he had his prayer and his meditation time and his sanctuary and solitude with the father to yeah. be refilled and recharged. Mm-hmm. That is self-care. Yeah. You know, there are so many different instances. I have actually, and I don't have it with me, but I have, uh, when I do reclaiming your personal Sabbath is a version of the self-care class that I teach. And I actually give scriptural reference throughout the Bible for various things around various types of self-care, critical areas of self-care where God is doing it because he's given Mm -hmm. us permission. He's already set the blueprint out and said, I need you to do this. I gave you this vessel. I created you. I formed you. Take care of my investment. Yeah. It's stewardship, yeah? It's stewardship. Yeah. So, yeah, I chose to focus on Black women because I feel like Black women are in dire need, but also Mm -hmm. I don't feel like people concentrate enough on Black women and Mm -hmm. serving them, especially Black women leaders who are serving them as they pour out and serve others. Who's pouring back into them? You know, we need someone to serve those who serve others. We need totally. to pour into those who are pouring out into others because mm-hmm. they don't always have the safe spaces. Mm. Because how can you, as a leader, you know, just taking the black and black woman off the table as a leader, where is your safe space where you can go and be human and not lose witness mm-hmm. over your humanness? And whatever you're struggling with. Right. And not lose the trust of the people that you serve or manage or, you know, who work with you. Yeah. 
And that just kind of naturally manifested for me. I, I didn't seek that out, but people in leadership positions, women especially, would confide in me and speak to me about things that I know they weren't sharing with everyone. Yeah. And I didn't really understand why, but I just, I held space for them. Mm-hmm. And I started to lean into that. And I said, maybe that's my assignment. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was going to say it, it sounds to me like this, this shift for you um, to, to really niche down your audience and to, you know, serve a specific group came from personal revelation. Yes, it did. And super serve is what one of my coaches said. So I super serve black women leaders. Yeah. And it's not exclusive, right? So like I serve other women leaders. I serve other groups. But you serve I, this girl just with your yes. social media. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, praise God. And I, I'm just, every time I open my mouth, every time I put pen to paper, every time I type a message, I just pray that God be my words and that they reach who they need to reach and the hearts that they need to reach. And it doesn't have to be the most popular message, but if it reaches who it needs to reach, Mm -hmm. And it does what God needs it to do, then I've done my job for the day. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just say I super serve Black women because Mm -hmm. they deserve it and they need to know that they're worthy of it. Thank you for doing it. It's amazing work. It reminded me when you were talking about this safe space um, to just bring those extremely tender places um, kind of and just hold them and, and, make pres- space for them and be present to them. My um, my counselor uses this phrase, being tender to your weakness, mm. like that we do have to find like a tenderness for our, our weakness. And it sounds to me maybe, sorry? Self-compassion. It, right, yes. <laughs> but it sounds to me like you've discovered something about that self, self-compassion. There it is. Yes. And so I just kind of wanted you to speak to that concept. And in particular... You've given us a little bit of background, but why that is such um, an important practice for Black women leaders? Mm. Self-compassion is important for everyone. Mm. You know, I've posted several times, don't shit on me. Mm-hmm. I also posted, don't shit on yourself. Right. Don't shit on yourself. And now is the time for you to be extremely gentle with yourself. Um, now is the time for all of us to be, um, to give ourselves the grace and the space. And so that's that self-compassion piece. And the reason why it's so important for Black women is because we exist in a world where we don't get to give that to ourselves. It's not given to us. So we're not getting those levels of compassion um, in a lot of the spaces that we go into. Uh, Every space is not a safe space for us. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it's important for us to operate in the space of power. And what power looks like is I'm not asking for what I need. I'm giving myself what I need. I'm doing what I need. And I believe in empowering women, moving from a disempowered posture and Mm. and really stepping into the power and the authority as God has given us. We have the power to heal ourselves. We have the power to speak over ourselves. We have the power to reshape and reframe and reimagine our atmospheres, our futures. And so 
the same thing goes for loving on ourselves and being yeah. gentle with ourselves. Self-compassion is important because you may not ever, you may not get it from anywhere else. So yeah. you've got to give it to yourself. You've got to be kind and loving and gentle with yourself. Give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a practice and it's hard. And especially for women who have been taught to be tough, mm-hmm. who've been taught to push it down and persevere, to just keep going. You know, it's, it's a whole, uh, the messaging is just press through. Just yeah. push through. And there's a time for that. There's a time for grit and there's a time for grace. Totally. Mm-hmm. Right? Without so, a doubt. Right? So like sometimes we do, we need that grit and we need to bear down and we need to just press through and push mm-hmm. through. But then there are times when we need grace and we need to give it to ourselves and sit in the space of giving ourselves the grace. And that, mm. that is that self-compassion piece. You, ha- I mean, how can we ever really truly expect to exist in a world where we are given compassion if we don't first give it to ourselves? Yeah, word. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that takes, that takes some authority. Like yes. you were saying, you know, and gosh, I'm learning from so many different places. I cannot remember where I heard this, but that there is a very, very different, Jess, was this with a, in an interview? Tell me if it was, but like a very different experience as Christians for a white person taking authority in the spiritual than there is for a black person, because authority is not a concept that is, is the same for white people and people of color. And so I don't know if you have thoughts on that or do you remember Jess? Was that with you? That, that No, I've never heard that. I'll, oh, wow. I'll try to find it for you guys, but that's, that makes sense. Yeah. I think it might have been a podcast my husband sent me with. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll find it and let you guys know. But yeah, please do. That's an interesting concept, but it makes sense because if you've all right, if you've always had the privilege mm-hmm. of operating from power and authority because it comes from your privilege, then you naturally have it. You naturally operate in it. You don't necessarily have to develop it, right? right. And mm-hmm. then. We have to embody it. We have to embody it. We have to embrace it. And then we have to practice what that looks like coming from us when the the power dynamics have been so different with power and authority, you know, in our history. So historically, that has been stolen from us. That has been taken from us. So what that looks like, we have to look at what does it look like, the dynamics of the natural and the spirit, the -hmm. spirit realm. Mm-hmm. Because they exist at the same time, but not everyone can, if they don't know, if they haven't had the experience in the natural, not everyone can move it over to the spiritual. And what I mean by that, let me give you an example. Okay. <clears throat> I realized one time, and I think I may have talked about this on the, lo- the podcast, but I realized that I was having a, a problem with faith and getting to where I needed to be in my faith because of my concept of a father in the natural. Yes, exactly. Great, great parallel. So if I don't have the idea of what it feels like for a father to be in my life, to not have to think about it, to not have to think about protection or provision. Yeah. um, If I just know he's there, like he's just there and he's always been there and he's always going to be there. I don't even Mm -hmm. have to think about it because that's just the way it is. Then I have a concept in the natural of what fatherhood looks like. So when I can translate that directly into spirit, 
And I can look at God in that way. Yeah. I I get that. I, okay, God, you're my father. Okay. Okay. But if I hadn't had that experience, I'm going to struggle with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I did. I struggled (laughs) so hard. I could, I kept saying, I believe in him. I trust him. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like to a certain, it, it was something my pastor said one day and it just, it was, it was small, but it blew my mind. He said, you trust God for everything, but do you trust him for anything? Ooh. And I was good. like, I guess I don't. Yeah. Ouch. And, yeah. I, and, and so I don't trust him for every area of my life. Oh no. Okay. Well, why? And it took so long to get to the fact that I don't trust him in the capacity of a father, which means mm. that I don't trust him for provision and protection. And those are the areas that I, that those are the areas that I seek like to be solid for me. Yeah. I'm constantly seeking safety and security and provision as a function of security. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Is that's like my main thing. And yeah. I didn't have a concept of him being able to provide that to me if I couldn't see it because I didn't see it. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So that makes sense. And the power dynamics with power and authority. Totally. Not everybody. There are some people who are able to connect to it, but it may have had something to do with their natural experience with power and authority. So then being able to translate it, even in the midst of the times when we, you know, may not have had it systemically or structurally power and authority. Um, some people were maybe able to translate it because of their natural experience with it. But yeah. there would be a lot of people who wouldn't be able to. So then we have to develop that. Yeah. Nurture that. Well, and can I ask you a vulnerable question? Because this I, this is one of those questions. I'm like, is this it, it's hard to ask questions as a white person right now? Because <laughs> you don't know if you're gonna screw it up, but I trust you. I trust you to receive mm-hmm. it. Um so is then there an added layer for a black woman in taking authority or understanding her own power? And maybe suppressing that out of fear of being perceived as a strong black woman. Absolutely. So how does that play out for you? Tell me, like, just add thoughts to that. It's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Because the whole strong black woman in some spaces has negative connotation. Mm-hmm. And therefore, some women want to disassociate from that. Because mm-hmm. then there's the, the angry black woman too, right? Right. But when, so there are spaces, there's the angry black woman, then there's the strong black woman. But a lot of times it's like the strong, independent black woman. I don't need, mm-hmm. and that's usually coming from men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we, we sit at this, we deal with this intersectionality mm-hmm. of race and gender. Yeah. And this is why this is so hard for us because we're catching it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, you struggle because you want to be able to be who you are and you want to be powerful and feel powerful because that is where the real magic is. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's, we were born that way. Yes, we were made like, for that. We were made for that. That's how, that's what he gifted to us. Right. We have the power we should never have to be in a position to where we feel like we can't step into that. 
because it makes someone else feel uncomfortable or it might make someone else feel inadequate or it might make someone else feel um, inferior or, you know, it's, yeah. So there's a lot of, um, I think, guilt that comes with that And, and it's put on us. So in another conversation, we talked about bondages, some that we took on to ourselves and some that were put on to us. So sometimes in this dynamic, guilt is put upon us for being in our power, for being in our power. So then what happens is we dummy it down, we shrink, and we dilute ourselves in a way that is not fully serving God because we are diluting the power that he's trusted, entrusted to Mm -hmm. us. That I've been in that space before where and that's why I say being your authentic self is your superpower. Totally. Because I've been in that space where I felt like I couldn't bring all of me into a space because it made other people intimidated. Mm-hmm. There's that, right? That's what it is. Black women are intimidating. Mm-hmm. Black women in leadership, especially. Mm-hmm. They are called names. They are, you know, uh, treated like they are masculine because they're operating in their power. Mm. And so then you find yourself, again, trying to be palatable, trying to be agreeable. And every single time you do that, you are dishonoring God. Mm-hmm. And Say it again, because I feel like that is so important. Every single time you do that, you're dishonoring God. And that is something that I dealt with. When I, we I, don't show up as our true, authentic selves, yeah. we are dishonoring God. And that is for everyone. That's Absolutely. For, that's for everyone. Yeah. That he, he created you. Right. Uniquely created you, creatively crafted you to be you, not this person, not that person, but you. And what this world needs from you uniquely that you have to offer is inside of you. Yeah. So how dare we lock that away? How dare we dummy that down? How dare we try to play small? How dare we edit ourselves and dilute ourselves to be palatable for other people when they probably weren't even our assignment in the first place? I just want to clap. clap Amen. (laughs) So So good. So now the people who needed what you have to offer at full industrial strength concentrated form... (laughs) are not getting what they need because you diluted yourself for somebody who you weren't even assigned to. Mm. Oh, so good. Mm. But then it circles back to what you were talking about in the beginning with Sabbath and self-care because the only way you'll know your true assignment and your true self is by connecting with the Lord and committing to Sabbath and rest and like doing that work first. It's all connected. It is connected, Jess. Yes, it, it's so connected. And it's so important that we reconnect to that sanctuary. Mm-hmm. That, that My sanctuary of solitude is what I call it. Yeah. I need that time and that space to just be. Yeah. Not do, just be. And not to be in the space asking for anything or praying for anything, but just uh, just sitting in the space and allowing God, just soaking in his presence and allowing him to wash over me and for him to download whatever he needs to download and just speak to me. Yeah. And hold me. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that is that time. And, and so that is a part of your self-care. That is a part of recharging and reconnecting to the father, going back to God and saying, okay, God, you know, what now? Like, because we are also in a season where God will change your assignment and you have to be um, in a position of being able to be in quick obedience. But that requires that you are listening and hearing and quiet and still, still. And I don't just mean your body, your mind. Yeah. Mm. So, so what advice do you give when you teach on, on self-care and that, that sanctuary of solitude for people who may be uncomfortable with solitude? I mean, I think that there is, and, 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 and there may be a completely different narrative for a black woman that I'm unaware of that when you get alone with yourself, what is going to happen? Like, you know, I think there are women who are afraid to, and and men as well. Probably, probably, I would say maybe, maybe more so for some men. Um, Any Enneagram too. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so what advice do you you give? We're kind of running out of time. So I want to get to something practical for people to be able to get to that. Not that this hasn't all been practical, but getting to that, that, sanctuary of solitude that you described if you struggle with either being extroverted or maybe even fear of what you might encounter if you get alone with the Lord? Yeah. I don't know that I have a one size fits all answer. That's okay. I think that it would depend on the person and I would really want to sit and talk with that person Mm -hmm. and get acquainted with their experience and how they experience the world. And to get a better understanding of what they need to, to connect to that. But I think just in general, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and doing things that sometimes are necessary, but feel counterintuitive for you. So if you are a person, because I don't think this is a woman, a black woman, a black man, a man. I just think this is a person thing. Some people have a hard time being quiet, sitting quiet, being alone, um, any of that. And, and it's so necessary. It's so necessary, but some people struggle with that. And so that's going to feel counterintuitive. It's not going to feel natural. It's going to be uncomfortable. I can think of people who they literally probably feel like they're crawling out of their skin to sit <laughs> laughing. to sit and be quiet and not have like a TV on or a radio on or like 80 things happening. And to me, when I, when I encounter people like that, how I experience them is that they are hiding out from themselves and that they, they actually really aren't deeply connected to themselves. Because if you constantly need stimulation to feel comfortable, hmm, I'm not sure that you're deeply connected to yourself mm. and that you are in a position to be ready to do the work to face yourself. Yeah. So it's easy to be distracted. I want to be distracted because I don't want to deal with what it feels like because silence is loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, it is very loud and it causes things to come up. It's disorienting. It is. Mm-hmm. And it's also disarming. And not everyone wants to sit in that space. That is an incredibly vulnerable space to sit in. And so I recommend getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. That might be the theme for 2020. Isn't it though? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, in so, on so many levels, we all really need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Get comfortable. Well, 
and asking the tough question of what is it that's making me uncomfortable? Like I realized Mm -hmm. because I always avoided solitude and stillness. Mm -hmm. And I realized the lie I was believing was that if I really look inside myself, I won't find anything there. (gasps) That there just won't be depth. So I avoid it because I don't want to like be empty. That could so not be further from the truth. Oh, the enemy is Evil. Crafty. Right. Oh, and so crafty. I had to do a lot of work of uncovering what lie I was believing. Wow. And so I think when you feel yourself feeling that uncomfortableness, that's a word, <laughs> uncomfort, there it is. Um, discomfort? Discomfort. Discomfort. <laughs> we got there. Then really dig into the Lord and say, Why, what is the lie I'm believing that is making me feel this discomfort? What is the untruth about who I am and you, who you are? Mm. Um, Because usually it's rooted in something much deeper, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so Uh, good. And I think that's so unique to a two as well in some ways, but your your specific lie, because I think sometimes mine is I'm going to have to deal with my feelings. Mm. I'm going to have to process my real emotions Mm. and identify them and process them and name them in a way that is probably going to be uncomfortable. Myra, do you know your Enneagram type? I'm two. All right. So did you identify with what she said? I didn't identify with that. For me, it was more like I didn't want to feel my feelings. That's why I say it all the time. Feel, feel, feeling your feelings is healing your feelings. Oh, I didn't yeah. want to let it in. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to, it was like a loss of control. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be in this spiral of feeling all these things. And if yeah. I can just keep going mm-hmm. and, and, and stay busy and not be quiet, I don't have to deal with this hurt. I don't have to confront yeah. this pain. You don't have to acknowledge you have needs too. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. So Shamira, just knowing you and knowing your personality a little bit, it seems like you might have a three wing. Have you explored that at all? I'm not I, diagnosing you. I just wonder. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Can you tell me a little bit more about the three wing? Well, it was just interesting to me because we have the same solitude lie. Mm. I'm going to have to feel my feelings. And so I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe any Enneagram experts can <laughs> let us know. But like, it's just interesting to me. So, I mean, a, a three is not good with emotion and naming and identifying their own feelings. And so yeah. emotional intelligence is a challenge for a three. Mm-hmm. But threes are very much like achie- they're achievers. And you've achieved so much. And you're so driven. And I just know that, that that's definitely a part. Like, I don't know. I want You explore that. That's, you know... When I took my, mine was not, and I feel like I probably need to take it again. I always get two, but the wings are different. And my wing wasn't an adjacent wing. It was Which like isn't a, a thing necessarily. Okay. okay. So it was the, was it eight? Was it individualist or the? That's a one. So okay. that would have been a, no, 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 that's a four. Sorry. Whatever the creative individual artistic one was. Four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so. And that would make sense then that you're a two because twos share a line with four and you okay. draw a lot of the creativity mm. from the four. Okay. So, see, 
see, we need a Jess here so she can help us with that. <laughs> exactly. So I, I will tell you, I don't usually struggle with processing emotions. I've mm-hmm. always been a very deeply feeling person. I have always been free with my emotions, but I think there's a difference between experiencing them and then really exploring the depth of them. Yeah. So what was happening was I was on the surface of the emotions and I wasn't going beneath the surface. So that's where I was struggling. I was dealing, but not healing. And it was because of the immense amount of trauma that mm-hmm. I experienced. Yeah. Um, and, and in my adult life, I'm still discovering actually um, that I actually repressed some memories from childhood. I have, I had like blanks. Like there are parts of my childhood that people will sit and tell me, you don't remember. And I'm like, I do nope. not remember that, you know, wow. and they're not bad experiences, but it's almost like I just repressed whole parts. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And I didn't even know. And I know uh, you're passionate about childhood trauma. Yeah. yeah. Yes, um, I yeah. And so I have the same experience. I had early childhood trauma and have this, I have the exact same um, thing where I have like missing eras mm-hmm. of my life almost. Wow. Um, Thank you for sharing that with me because I don't, I haven't met a lot of people who have had that experience. I just thought it was so like, I was like, you're so weird to my <laughs> You're Well, <laughs> I mean, we're all beautifully unique, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I have the same thing. Yeah. Wow. Which is interesting. But I, I, I can sense that you wanted to go back to this lies concept, the lies we believe. I did. I did. And then I want to double back to childhood trauma because I do yes. want to discuss it. Go wherever you want right now. Um, so just, I thought that Jess's insight and that revelation was really powerful because the enemy's lies. Wow. I just didn't even, I didn't think about it like that, but that's so poignant because we have to always remember that the enemy is a master strategist. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything unintentionally. <laughs> He's not out in these streets just willy nilly about anything. Everything that he does is with intention. So then if the enemy is creating a lie around what it means to be quiet and be by yourself or telling you why you shouldn't or everything else you should be doing, it makes sense, right? Because- yep. He's like, anything but that. Don't let her get quiet. Don't let her get to a place to where she can connect and hear from God. Right. Do something else at her. Right. Somebody, call her on the phone. Distract her with something. Do something. Totally. That is, that just, that's what I thought of when you said that. I was just thinking to myself, the different reasons why people don't want to be quiet. Some people, for some people, it's, I don't know if when I get quiet and I have to look at myself, if I'm going to like what I see. Mm-hmm. But... Where is that lie coming from? You know, like, and, yeah, and yeah. So I'm so glad that you said that because it makes perfect sense. The enemy wants us to, to not be in those quiet places. He wants us to not be in the sanctuary of solitude because he knows that there's power there. There's refreshing there. That's, that's us beside those living waters. Right. And he's like, no, keep her thirsty. And he will tailor that yeah. lie. For everyone, based on what he knows about you, because he's been watching you for years. Mm-hmm. So that customized lie is based on you yeah. and your vulnerability. Which could go back to 
watch this segue, early childhood trauma. So, <laughs> yes, yes. It, and it's so true, though, because yeah. the early childhood trauma, most of the time, is, is that's, that's the place where the wound, the wound is the entry point for the lie of the enemy. Mm-hmm. Have you watched this? Uh, oh, my gosh, I can't remember it. What is the name? It's it's a movie. It's a kids movie, and it was based on a book. It had Oprah in it. It had um, the emotions inside out. No, this no. one. Oh my gosh! Uh, no, a Oprah wrinkle in time. It. A wrinkle in time. Yes, yes. I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking oh about. A lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. I loved that movie. Um, and there's this this one of the characters. She quotes basically. She speaks in quotes. <laughs> It's so cute. She speaks in quotes, but she said the wound is where the light comes in or the wound is where the light is let in or something like that. She kept saying, and it didn't make sense at the time until it made sense. But when I think about that, I think about the wound in the spiritual sense that it is the entry point for the enemy's lies. It is when the enemy can come in and begin to work on us with the lies that we will come to believe that are what we actually believe about ourselves because that's how he functions. If he can get us to a place to where we don't recognize that it's a foreign thought, it's just what we think. It's just what we believe to be true about ourselves. Yeah. He integrates his lies into our, you know, our identity, you know, our, how we self-identify. So this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I am. Mm-hmm. Then you have to really examine, is that the way that God created you? So then it goes back to what I always say, who were you before the world told you who you were? Because right. the enemy is a part of the world. That's so good. That's yeah. so important. I love that concept too, that like if the wound is where the lie gets in and the it's an entry point for either or. So like, it's also when we go back and we heal those wounds, it's the entry yeah. point for the light as well. Yes. And so is that, was that what the, that's what I got out of what you just said. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yes. like that to me speaks so loudly to the importance of doing the work of healing past trauma. I know I'm on a soapbox these last two years, <laughs> but like, The Lord has just shown me how vital that is to this work of identity, purpose, and maturity and growth. And so if we want to see the Lord forming us and shaping us spiritually, we have got to go back and heal those past wounds. And we all have them. We do. We all have past wounds. And And especially with racial healing. Yes. The past wounds of our nation. Yeah. Word. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, in... even just to take it a step further, even past the spiritual implications, scientifically, when we talk about ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences, um, children who experience multiple types of trauma are more vulnerable to various types of diseases in their adult life, um, which is really deep. They're also more vulnerable to other types of things. So when I was when I was working with Present Age Ministries, um, we talked about ACEs and mm-hmm. children's exposure to certain adverse childhood experiences, then opening them up to being more vulnerable to be trafficked mm. or 
you know, so there, it, it plays out in so many ways. And mm-hmm. there is a woman, gosh, I wish I, I knew her name, um, but she did a TED talk and she's been, oh, it's leaving, it, it's, it's gone, it's out of my brain. I can't remember her name, but she had, was just appointed the attorney general for California. And she did a TED talk about ACEs. Really? And the long-term effects, um, health effects. Yes. I've read about this too. Yes. So as a woman with ACEs who has an autoimmune disease. Right. So it's past spiritual. Mm -hmm. It's really a big deal. So stay on your soapbox, please. We need you out here. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't get down off of the soapbox because childhood wounds and childhood experiences, Mm -hmm. they point to so many things. And I, and I, but I want to say this, but God. Mm -hmm. Amen. But God, yeah, and I say that as a an example, sit, standing before you, sitting before you, of the but God part. Yep. You know, He is the semicolon. He yep. is the one that it. You can go through all those things, and they can point to whatever they want to point to. But whatever He decides for you, like whatever, like what you're meant to be a part of and connected to, who you're meant to serve who you are meant to meet and speak into. If he needs you for that, you're going to do it regardless, right? right. Of those adverse experiences, regardless of the wounds and the trauma, because he took me and my wounds and the trauma that I experienced, even when I gave up on my own life. And he, that was my butt God moment. He was just like, no, like you have too much work to do. The mm. world needs you. They yeah. need your light. They need, they need to, I need you as my surrendered vessel to speak to my people. And so regardless of those things, there's always room for but God. Amen. I love that. I love ending on that point of hope, Shamira. Like in light of everything going on, yeah. but God. And nothing is new in this era we sit in. Racism is a disgusting part of our history as a country. It's in the Bible. It It is a part of this world, what the enemy ushered into this world with sin. And that doesn't mean it's not going away. I'm still standing in hope. Yes. That we will see a shift in this generation. Yeah. Yes, we are heavy, but we are hopeful. That's right. Yes. That's right. So, yes. So thank you so much for being that voice of hope, for standing for what you know, for stepping into that personal revelation that you've had, for serving Black women leaders. We need you, and we love you, Mm -hmm. and we're so grateful for you. I love you, too. It's an honor. It really is. It's an honor, and it actually is my privilege and honor to serve and lead with love. It's what I was created to do. Yeah. And it's a blessing to be a blessing. Awesome. I love and you all. Listeners, we'll put the links to all of Samira's social handles um, in our show notes. Follow her. Her Instagram posts are amazing and encouraging yeah. and inspiring. So follow her. And um, we're not going to do our standard outro because we wanted to give more time to the interview. So listeners, we're just wrapping it up now. Follow us at Collected Ministries and uh, we will talk to you soon. 
Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. Check back here for weekly episodes dropping every Thursday. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive contests, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is recorded and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Alon.